All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, let's turn to Hebrews again this morning uh, as we continue to make our way through there. And uh, we're going to start with a word of prayer, if you'll join me. Our Father, I thank you for gathering your people together this morning. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you that um, you, have, you have made a way for us to be forgiven of sin, to be in right relationship with you, to be made right with even one another and with your creation. And, and God, I just pray that as we gather this morning, we remember um, we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we would make you known together here. Make yourself known to us. I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us, that you would say what you want to say over the next few minutes, that you would have our hearts hear what you want us to hear and shape us and make us more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, back when I was a, a teenager, I don't know if people still do like the rectangle bumper stickers, you know, but, but back when I was a teenager, there was this popular bumper sticker that I'd see all around town, uh, and it said something to the effect of, like, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Y'all ever seen that? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. It was everywhere back, back when I was younger, and, and honestly, every time I saw it, it just kind of made me angry. I mean, I know that there's some truth to that saying, right, but it just seemed like such a cop-out to me. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like speeding by and cutting you off in traffic with the Jesus fish on the back of the car, but hey, I never said I was perfect, just forgiven, wink, you know, uh, and yeah, it just drove me crazy. And I think it just got under my skin so much because it sort of summed up what Christianity um, all around me kind of felt like. Like it was maybe kind of a sham, like it was kind of a bunch of, of people using God. Kind of like an excuse to do whatever you wanted and get away with it. Over the years, I've grown to see that the bumper sticker does represent how many use the cross of Jesus. It's like forgiveness is just something that allows us to sort of blow off the responsibility of doing what's good, of doing what's right. But also, I've come to think that the way people wore that slogan around, Christians aren't uh, perfect, we're just forgiven. The way they wore it out around was really just a sign of how little we truly understand our identity in Christ. There's truth to the slogan. Though we are forgiven, we are not perfect, right? It's true that we are not yet who God intends us to be. We're not there yet. However, I wonder for us, like, do you and I realize what the cross of Jesus Christ says about how God sees us? And if we looked at ourselves and if we looked at each other the way that he looks at us and had his perspective, how might we change? Like I said, we're going to continue in Hebrews this morning. Specifically, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And let's just go ahead and jump in and read this passage together. We're going to start with just Hebrews 10, 1 through 7. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. If you want to follow along in your Bible, turn to Hebrews 10, 1 through 7. It says, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, 
would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not yet desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin sacrifices you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, in a lot of this morning's passage, Uh, The author of Hebrews sort of wraps up some of what he's been saying in the previous chapters, especially here at the the beginning of this this, this chapter. A lot of this passage is still showing how the tent or the tabernacle and the law and the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant were all just, as it says, shadows. They were all just signposts pointing to the need for a Savior and to God's promise to save His people from sin and death. Hebrews 10.1 got to it straight away. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, they can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year, make perfect those who draw near. And like we said last week, it's the ceremony and the ritual and the law. Those things could never save. They could only point to Jesus. Now, we're not going to rehash all of that this week. I just end up saying a lot of the same stuff over again. And also, for time this morning, I'm going to try to to move a little bit quickly because we have some other stuff we want to get to at the end of the service. Um, And so I just want us to zoom in on some other parts of this passage this morning. So we're going to continue to read. Read with me. This is Hebrews 10, uh, 8 through 10. And it says, When he said the above, what we just read, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, in the verses just before this, the author of Hebrews, he quoted some verses that we just read from the Old Testament, specifically from Psalm 40. But he attributes those words to Jesus. And I realize that that may seem a little bit odd because the quote comes from Psalm 40, which was written a very long time before Jesus was born. However, it's not really that odd at all when you consider what the author or the preacher of Hebrews uh, has already said and what he started with way back in chapter 1, writing that the world was created through God's Son, and the rest of the Scripture corroborates this, right, that Jesus is the Word of God. All things were created through Him, so when God speaks, Jesus is the Word, and so if we believe that He spoke all things into existence, that all of creation is Him saying something of who God is, then, of course, when we read Scripture, which is the Word of God, we can understand it as the words of Christ, spoken of Himself even before Jesus was born. And what the writer wants us to see is that Jesus, back in Psalm 40, speaks to the heart of God and the heart of God's covenant promises. God's desire was not to receive burnt offerings and endless sacrifices from His people. He wants something more than that. His will or His desire is for something other than that stuff. Those were just shadows of what was to come. And so Jesus, through His 
offering of his body, his ultimate sacrifice on our behalf, has done away with the need of sacrifices so that what God really desired for us could be established. So what is it that God desired? What is it that God wills? It's verse 10. It says, and by that, and by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God's will was that we would be sanctified. And sanctified means that we have been made holy, that we have been made pure, that we have been made right with God. Why? Why does God will for that, for us to be sanctified more than he desires for us to keep giving him offerings and sacrifices? The answer is because God desires us to be actively and intimately involved with him. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know him through and through for what he's really like. I mean, as his image bears, we must know him in that way in order to make him known for who he really is in this world. And because he's holy and because he's pure, for us to be intimately involved and active in relationship with him, we must be holy also. Now just hold on to that for a moment. Jesus accomplishes God's will, which is to sanctify us for a relationship with him. He desires to shape us into the people he created us to be. Let's hold on to that. Let's jump down and read the next part together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you just hear that? What it says Christ has done in verse 14, I'm going to read it again. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That means in and through the work of Jesus Christ, we are perfected for all time, though we're still being sanctified. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Let's finish reading 15 through 18. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So the writer of Hebrews writes all this to a group of Early Jewish Christians, we've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks. They were likely facing persecution. They were likely looking for a way to save their necks. They were looking for a way to leave maybe Christianity uh, to save themselves, maybe go back to the old um, Jewish ways. It's not that they don't want to honor God. They do. And it isn't that they don't believe that they're sinful. They, They know that they have sin that needs to be dealt with, but they are considering dealing with it by returning to a sacrificial system, by going back to the law. But the sacrifices could be given over and over and over again forever, and they would never do the work of perfecting the person. Right? They could never cleanse the heart because they were only a shadow of things to come. And this passage shows us that God's ultimate will for his people was to cleanse them from sin 
once and for all so that he could be with them and they could be with him. He desires for his people to know him deeply. He desires for his people to trust him and to follow his ways from their deep knowledge and trust of him over all else. And only the sacrifice of Jesus could do the will of God. Only a sacrifice that God provided for us could forgive our sins once for all and make a way for us to be with him and for him to be with us. He perfected us. He made us pure. And through Christ's resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit, this passage even shows us God dwells with us in an intimate way. He has written the law on our hearts and on our minds. See, the whole vibe of that old bumper sticker, I think it just got it wrong. If the way we see ourselves is as a people who aren't perfect, but we're just forgiven, then I don't think we're taking in the good news of Jesus Christ for all that it really is. Like, I don't think we're seeing what God has done for how great it really is. We're not seeing ourselves and we're not seeing each other the way that God sees us and we are missing out on what he really has for us. Now for time, I've skipped a lot of some of the legwork here this morning, but I want us to just quickly see the big truth of what has been said in this passage. If you are in Christ, if you are his child, He has never related to you as anything other than what he has awaiting you in future glory. Meaning, God knows you, and he understands you, and he loves you for all that you are in your perfected, Christ-like, image-bearing, glorified body that you and I are still awaiting. He knows you in the fullness of who you are in Christ. And so he knows you in the fullness of your worth. And he has known you that way since the foundations of the earth. And listen to this. Like knowing you exactly as you absolutely would become in eternity and relating to you in that way, he came out for your salvation by the death and resurrection of his son Jesus and he sealed that future for you. And though... Like in this present body, you don't know God through and through for who he really is and for his full worth. And though you are still growing in your knowledge of him, and though you may not always get it right, you may not be perfect, you may not always look to Jesus first, you may not always go his ways, but because of the person and work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And God's ways are written on your heart And in your mind, which means this, that though you're weak and you're just not there yet and you don't fully know God and fully value him as you ought, the spirit of God is in you and he knows God through and through. And when the father looks at you, he sees all you are in Christ and by the spirit and not what you are in this flesh alone. So what you and I only know ourselves as becoming We absolutely are to him from eternity past and into eternity future. That's really big good news. 
I don't want us to be a church who makes the forgiveness of God something that we just try to take advantage of. I don't want us to use the cross as an excuse for us to continue to live in ways that don't make Jesus known for who he really is. It could be a severe misunderstanding and mishandling of the gospel for us to do that. And we'd have to ask, why would we ever expect the world to turn to a Jesus like that? Now, I want us to see ourselves as he sees us. I want us to see each other as he sees us. And so I hope you hear the good news this morning of how much God loves you, how deeply he desires for you to know him and to be in right relationship with him. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I hope you hear the invitation to like step into this relationship with the Father by putting your full faith in Jesus Christ. He's made us children of God. We're not yet completed, right? And we live in a world that's not yet completed. But the obstacle between us and God has completely been dealt with in Jesus Christ. And what we know is not yet complete is finished in Jesus. That's what the scripture tells us. So my encouragement for us this morning is just, I mean, may we let the greatness of the salvation of God just sink in today. May we realize how he has always loved us, how he has always seen us and related to us, and how he has saved us to the uttermost. And may it change us so that Jesus is made known in and through every part of our lives. We're going to move into a a time of response this morning like we do each week. And the band will come and they will lead us in, in a time of worship through singing. And we're going to come and we're going to take communion together. And as we do that, there's a basket in the back where you can place your tithes and place your offerings. If you don't give that way, if you give electronically, you can do that on our website we always ask that as we go into this time, however you give, if, you're, if it's slipping out of your account unnoticed, just take a moment to remember God for who he is. Remember that he's your provider and sustainer. And take a moment to like thank him for how he has provided and given. Worship him through that gift, no matter how you're giving it. And then as you come, we're going to come and, like I said, take communion. And uh, we will take the bread. We can dip it in the wine or the juice. We also have this other juice cup with a wafer on top if you prefer that. And as we come, we are remembering that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We're remembering his body and his blood that was given for us. We're remembering that he is what he says he is. He is our Lord and Savior and that his sacrifice is once and for all and has made us right with God. That he is, we're remembering how he relates to us and how he loves us. And we're proclaiming that to one another in this action. As we come, we're, we're telling each other, we're reminding each other with this proclamation. And what a great show it is also of like the unity that he's provided as a family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ come around to remember and pro- proclaim Christ together. So if you're a Christian, uh, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we would invite you to come and take and remember and proclaim Jesus together with us this morning. I'm going to pray for us and we'll move into that time. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending your only son for us in this truly great demonstration of love for us. 
to once and for all make a way for us to be with you, to forgive us of our sin, to free us from as captives to death. God, you have you've come out for us. And you know us so much better than we know ourselves. And you have always known us exactly for who we are and who we will be. And it blows my mind. May it blow our minds. That how you've known us forever and how you've loved us forever is demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. You came out for us. Man, that is... heartbreaking but it's such good news it's so good to know that we are fully known and loved by you and I pray Lord that you'd make us a people who know that love who begin to have a perspective to where we can see the way that you see that we can love the way that you love um, ourselves one another our community our world and I pray that you would use us to make Jesus known to one another and to this world. God, we pray for salvation to, to spring up from the ground in Augusta, Georgia, from this place. We pray that you be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.